what if it works out so well? Hello and welcome to Shred the Should podcast. I'm your host, Alex Katz. I'm a coach, speaker, and shredder of shoulds on a mission to help you shred your should shame so you can live a happier and more authentic life. We're introducing Miss Maria Kelly, and after she tells you who she is, I'm going to tell you why I'm super excited about this episode. So Maria, it's a Thank you. Super excited. Um, so yes, my name is Maria. And uh, without telling you what I do, I would say um, I'm a very passionate leader, um, a voice of change and um, seek healing in my community and those around me and in myself, I think most importantly. Um, and yeah, I think I'm just, I'm focused on um, a lot of things related to justice, but also radical liberation, self-liberation, communal liberation. So that's kind of my moral guiding system, which is inevitably kind of like who I am as a person, always trying to follow that. So, yeah. I love that. And how old are you now? Um, I am 20. <laughs> I am Y'all 20. think that she's 20 from <laughs> listening to that? That is why. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so what's really cool is that I've known you what for four years now? Yeah. Four? Yeah, with more, I think. More. So yeah, because- I've known you since twenty eighteen, I think. Yes. So I've known you since you were sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. Really Just, cool. I think I was kind of like mid sixteen. It wasn't like because I have the late birthday. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's been about I think closer to five years actually. Wow. So what's really cool for me is watching how much you've just grown and transformed during that time from the day that I met you. And I want to kind of tell the story of how we met real quick, if you're cool with that. I would love that. Yes. (laughs) I feel like it's going to come up in multiple ways throughout this episode. So a lot of you know that I used to run a program called the Rising Scholars Program, where I worked with youth in the Connecticut foster care system. And we had a summer program where they would come and live on campus for the summer. I lived on campus with them for a whole month. They took classes. We went on field trips. It was great. And at the time, I was brand new. Like I had started my job literally less than a month before they all got to campus. I was so nervous, like so scared, because here I was, I was, how old was I even at the place? So five years ago, I just turned 30. So, okay, so I was 25 at the time Wow. when I met you. I was 25. This was my first like real big girl job where I am overseeing, you know, responsible for all of these lives of teenagers. And you know, doing this program, it was something that I knew I wanted to do from the day that I graduated college. Like everything I did, my choice of master's program, the experience I got was also I could come back and run this program because I had worked for it as a senior in college, fell in love with it, and really saw a lot of my experiences mirrored in the students I was working with. And I knew I could help them and I wanted to come back and make a change and to continue my impact. So anyway, here I am running this program. There's so many students. I am like, oh my gosh, how am I going to connect with all of them? And I, you know, I'm in charge of them. I'm in charge of like 
you know, if if something goes wrong and I have to be the mean one or, you know. And so here we are, we're sitting on this bus going to our first field trip of the summer and everyone's just talking to each other and I'm just, you know, I'm just the coordinator. It's like, oh, there's Alex sitting in a seat and Maria <laughs> is sitting across the aisle from me and we started talking and I think you were the first person in this new job that I ended up telling my story to. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I vividly remember that. And you were the first person for me, first adult in this role or in general that had ever shared their story with me. So it was like a first experience for both of us, which was beautiful. Yeah. And it was just like instant, instant connection. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember that. And I remember, I think you told me that at the time too, where you were saying, you know, this was a first experience for you also. And I think for me on that bus ride, I remember it being really reaffirming, being like, okay, you know what? No, like, because I, in my head, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. It was like this bus ride of like, you know, people are just like being rowdy and I'm like, oh my God, I'm 25 and I have to be like mom to 40 high schoolers. What is happening? And I was just like, my brain was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. Like, I want to quit. And then we had that conversation and everything just changed in my brain, like in that moment where I was just like, nope, you're in the right place. Like, you're okay. You can do this. And I still remember that. And you still remember that. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely, it was, again, it was a beautiful experience. And I definitely, it's so interesting because it's like, I, I would have never even known, you know, that you were nervous or had any of those emotions. Um, definitely you were an idol for a lot of us, um, a role model but that would be probably a better word. Um, But yeah, I mean, that was, I felt so seen and so heard. And it literally was like that in that instant, I was like, yep, yep. This is just going to be a forever, forever relationship. Mm -hmm. Like I no getting rid of me and there's no getting rid of you. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And then, so for everybody listening, you're like, where's this going? But like, it's, it was such a cool (laughs) conversation for us. And then you know, after that, so, so Maria was in our program and, you know, I'm doing my thing. Like we're doing, we're doing visits. We're talking about college, right. Talking about grades. And I, one of the things that I remember about you is always just that, uh, you, you really wanted to make things better, not only for yourself, but like for other people. I saw that in you as a 16 year old, but then just watching how, that continued to evolve as you continued on your own journey. And, you know, I tried to be a mentor throughout that process. And then, so anyway, y'all, so Maria graduated high school. I got to be there. That was great. And then she got into UConn. And then at UConn, she basically became my program assistant for the the program that she had been in as a high schooler, ended up helping me with coordinating it, you know, as a, as a college student, but then also helped me start creating caring communities, which I know I've talked about on here before, but that was the student organization that I had wanted to start when I was a student to provide support to other students. And so it was really cool just watching it all come full circle and having her help me just, you know, create spaces for other students and food drives and programming. And Maria really like carried this whole thing especially after I left and and I know you know there's a lot of I like a lot of pressure behind what I'm saying there um but you know it's 
it was really great to have the support while it was needed, you know, and now just seeing you kind of be able to follow your own path and not necessarily the path that you felt like you needed to help me with is really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm definitely like the experience of kind of like that reciprocal nature of everything, of every stage within even like our, you know, relationship, but also going from URS, then, you know, working, um, working for URS and then CCC and that, you know, being able to not only be a leader, but also be a learner and then be a mentor and all these different things and learning so much about myself, uh, about even the, you know, the parts of myself that I thought I wouldn't discover until 20 years from now. So I think the experience in general, it's, it was a lot of shredding the should throughout it to even be able to recognize like that it left that impact. Yeah. yeah. And so now you're about to graduate college. Yeah. This is yeah. wild. <laughs> oh my God, what yeah. just happened? When you said that for a second, I was like, oh, yes, yes, I am. Good reminder. <laughs> yeah. You're, and so, you know, yesterday, Maria and I were talking a lot about just kind of figuring out your path and your purpose, right? And you're like in that stage of, okay, well, what's next? You know, what am I going to do? And, you know, even talking about CCC, I know that that's something you've recently stepped away from a little bit more and that we've talked about where I was like, you got to kind of figure out what you need at this stage in your life. And things are always happening in seasons, right? It's like how we wear winter coats and boots in the winter and then we don't do that in the summer and it's okay. But I think it's really important to remember that we need different things at different points in our lives and that you know, while working with students in foster care and students experiencing family estrangement is something that I think both of us care about in in a lot of ways. It's interesting to look at how the intention behind it changes as we continue on our own healing journeys. And I know that's something we talked about is like, you know, like my drive to do that specific job at that specific university was out of feeling like my needs were not met and knowing that that meant other people's needs were not met. And I had this very specific vendetta of like, we're going back to this exact place and doing this exact job in this exact place to change the structural issues in this exact place. And then as I kind of dealt with that and I healed that, I was like, well, wait a minute. Why are you in a state that you don't want to live in when, you know, to do to do this work when you can help people in so many other ways? And so, you know, now I'm in Austin, I'm doing my coaching business, I'm speaking, you know, I'm doing all these things that I love and I'm creating an impact in other ways, but it's not rooted in my own trauma essentially, right? And I think that's something we talked about with you too where, you know, I, and and tell me tell me how you feel about it, but I, you know, I think like having me as a mentor and then going through your own experiences and wanting to help other students, it kind of led you down that path. And then I left and it's like, okay, well, hold on. What do I actually want to do? And is this the path for me at this current season of my life? Right. Yeah. And that's exactly, I mean, that's what I was sharing with you. It's like, I had this moment where it's like, oh, now I have to figure out even, you know, what, what am I really passionate about? That isn't 
centered in my trauma, you know, or past experiences. And that's the thing, like when I've discovered having lived expertise is so important in any sort of, you know, uh, social service work or social justice work, nonprofit work, whatever, you know, in that sector. And it's also extremely debilitating sometimes. Um, and what I found is I, you know, I'm working with students in a, more of a social worker role. It really became that addressing, you know, um, institutional disparities as one person or even a group of five e-board members was not sustainable. And um, seeing students, again, like you were saying earlier, that mirrored my experiences or my experience, like there were some things they were going through. I'm like, I'm going through the same exact thing, but I'm not going to share that because that's not going to help anything and, you know, either of us. Um, and so, I mean, I got extreme compassion fatigue and I didn't know what that was. I literally heard someone say it. Um, actually, she works in community outreach. She's amazing. I, I would shout her out, but I don't know if I can do that. Um, but okay. Her name is Maya. I don't, I think you might know who Maya is, but I don't know her last name. Um, and she had brought up compassion fatigue and I was like, what is that? She explained exactly what I was feeling and that my compassion, my drive, my motivation, like dwindled to the point where I didn't even, it wasn't even there. Just not like, like, you know me, I've always been, like you said, I'm very passionate. And I was like, it was a stage where I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, which is okay, but I feel like it was almost an act of even self-harm, like really arguably becoming that kind of nature. So, um, so yeah. And then I decided like, what do I want? And I was like, I don't know what I want, but I know what I don't want right now. And so that was, you know, I, I can't sustain this, um, this, you know, community right now and that's okay. Um, and so, yeah, I, I ended up handing it to, um, my best friend and she's just, she's making it a community, you know, so, um, a caring community at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that brings up a really important point that I know a lot of people that I work with, like clients that I have who are, you know, in their 50s, 60s, etc., still struggle with, which is when is it time to walk away? You know, if something isn't serving you, when is it time to make a change? And I think one of the things that was probably so hard for you, well, I can think of a couple of things, you know, but one is like feeling this responsibility, right? So if you're in a role where you're like caring for other people, you're a director, you're leading a student organization, whatever the thing is, when is it time to walk away? Am I letting people down? Am I hurting them? You know, the people that you are in that role for, in that role to serve. And then there's an element of who else am I letting down, right? So I know a fear for you was like, oh my gosh, is Alex going to be upset because she built this whole thing and I don't want to watch it crumble. She's not here anymore. And I know we talked about, you know, that was never supposed to be your responsibility. But I think that when we love people and we care about them, we take on responsibilities because we want to help or we want to protect. And I think, you know, for anybody listening, going to do this episode on shredding the sheds of 30 and you know a lot of people I think struggle with these milestones of like where you think you should be versus where you actually want to be and a lot of the conflict there is like well I don't want to let these people down you know I was talking to in the gym yesterday I was talking to somebody found out that pretty much everyone in their family is a dentist and one of our friends was like oh so you didn't want to go down that path you know and you could tell there was like a moment of almost shame like I should have done that too like did I let them down you know that might still be something they struggle with and so there's a little bit of should shame there of like oh I'm letting people down by choosing what serves me best when in reality like 
I think the thing that I said to you was, I care about you. I care about you and your health. Like if this thing needs to crumble to the ground to preserve you, like that is okay because at the end of the day, it's not your responsibility for other people's happiness. You know, you're not responsible for that. Yeah. And I, I definitely think that, I mean, that in general, I know, and I was, I was so nervous, you know, cause I did feel like letting you down and also felt like letting myself down. Cause I saw a lot of myself in the work that, you know, both of us did together. Um, so it was definitely like, my heart was in it. I literally, I, we always, you know, it's our baby, my baby, like, you know, whatever, all that it was. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it became uh, such a large part of my life that again, I didn't, I couldn't necessarily separate myself from it um, until I did. And there also was the element of, I should be doing this because I don't know anyone else in my lineage, in my family or lack thereof that have done anything, you know, that anything mm-hmm. that isn't necessarily rooted in trauma, toxicity, you know, addiction and mental health, you know, and stuff like that, which, you know, is more of that product of that systemic and generational structural cycles patterns. Um, but, you know, it's that pressure of like, I need to be the first one as a first gen student, as a Mexican indigenous, you know, Latina, all these, you know, kind of just societal factors coming in. Um, so something like this, not only was it, it selfishly was like, you know, I want to get somewhere I need to, you know, whatever, but there isn't, as we talked about yesterday, there's no conventional path of hitting these milestones and the milestones are fluid and they can look different at any point in our lives. Um, and so, I mean, I was, I was really moved by that. Cause I was like, wow, like I can just step outside of the box and it can be, in, it might not even be a box if I look back at it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And I think there are all these other pressures, like listening to you talk about that. One of the things we talked about a lot in in your program, in the program that you were in, was the statistic. You know what I'm talking about? You want to share the statistic? I don't know if I even remember. Is it like the only 3% of uh, foster individuals? Is it graduate high school or go to college? College. Uh, High school. Graduate high school. Wait, no, sorry, sorry, wait, I messed that up. <laughs> um, only only 3%, now I'm like, wait, oh yeah, only 3% of youth in foster care will graduate from college, and it's 60% will graduate high school, 40% will get into a university. I'm just, I'm just testing you. That's, that's what just happened there. <laughs> just wanted to watch panic. Um, no, but yeah, three. Three percent of individuals in foster care will graduate from college nationally. And so I feel like that gets thrown around a lot. I feel like we threw it around a lot in the program to be like, take this seriously, break the cycle, you know, and that's not necessarily fair either. Like thinking back on that, too, because it creates all this pressure to be different. And I mean, even for me, like not being in the system, but like going through the things that I went through, you know, we talk about shoulds you know a lot of the shoulds we talk about are like oh you like should have a house and should have kids and should have this and have this type of job and 401k but I feel like for us there's a different type of should which is like you should be an addict you should be homeless you should be in an abusive relationship you should be abusive yourself you should be struggling with like xyz mental health condition when you grow up the way that we grew up and I think that there is all this pressure that people don't realize to like not be those things right 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like, even, you know, and I mean, this might sound really dismal, but, um, you know, should be alive. Like that's like, that was one of, you know, and this thing I've just recently found out about myself, but it's like feeling as though like you shouldn't like, you know, having, um, a history of like losing family and stuff because of these generational factors. It's like, I shouldn't even be here. You know, why me survivor's guilt? Oh my gosh. That's a whole nother thing. But like, you know, so it's like that these really like integral foundations that I have made, like I've made to be a part of myself are starting to, you know, be shredded, you know, or shred themselves. And so, um, I guess like, actually I would have a question for that and which would be like, what is the, um, I would say, what is the first step in shredding a narrative that's, I mean, that integral to like being learned and conditioned, you know, like, is it questioning it or is it, you know, just recognizing it? Cause I don't even, you know, there's a lot of parts of myself again, that I don't even think I've discovered yet in terms of those narratives and recognizing that. Yeah, that's such a good question. I have to really sit with that one. I think I would bring it back to the first thing that I always say is non-judgmental awareness, which it sounds like you're at, right? Like it's just just understanding that that narrative is there and not kind of being hard on yourself because it's there. You know what I mean? Not being like, oh, I shouldn't feel this way because that's just another should. We don't love shoulds around here. But I think just being aware of the fact that you have that narrative, being aware that that narrative probably served you at one point in your life, right? So this this whole thing you were saying about survivor's guilt and I shouldn't even be alive, like I totally get that. And that was something I struggled with for a long time was like, I need to create as much impact as possible because I have the opportunity to be here. And But I used to do it, I still do it, but I do it in a different way now. Intentions are important. You know, the narrative used to be like, I need to do all these things because I don't understand the purpose to life, you know, like, why am I here? I need a purpose behind everything that I went through. Like, let me do all this stuff to like make sense of that versus now it's like, I want to create as much impact as possible because I have the opportunity to, because I'm grateful that I'm just like alive and I'm here, but it's not out of this place of like, why, why am I alive? Like, what am I doing? You know what I mean? It's just like a very different intention behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I definitely I think it's it that kind of like reframe um, mm-hmm. is definitely something that like putting I'm have tr- been trying to put that into practice and it's definitely I mean it's effective so far um, and then I feel like it's I don't know when you were speaking about that I was like and then sometimes I think there's a moment where it's like I don't need to be making an impact right mm-hmm. now you know but that's new I don't think it's like you know that allow that like necessitates for like allowing space and room and giving yourself permission to like you know just take a break rest is revolution but also like knowing that I don't always need to be kind of like going towards this higher purpose that I'm grateful for like all of this stuff and so I think that but that that line of like okay when or just I guess guess that fluidity is very like as someone that grew up in very black and white spaces and environment that gray area is so uncomfortable 
Yeah, I I agree. I also want to just shout out the fact that you said reframe because when you did that, I was thinking about the first time we talked about reframes like years ago, and I'm like, yes, you go. Um, <laughs> but just like thinking about our whole our whole history. But yeah, I think that's important. I think like recognizing that you have the narrative, and then asking yourself, well, what do you want the narrative to be? Like at this point in your life, what do you want it to be? And then also, what is the most healed version of you what would their narrative be right so a lot of times the narrative is rooted in our trauma our experiences all these things and it's like well if i didn't go through these things what would i want my narrative to be you know like like talking about jobs we talked about this yesterday like a lot of us who get into nonprofit work it's or social services work it's rooted in our own trauma and so it's like well if i didn't go through that what would i want to do like we talked about how in grad school i kept being drawn to physical therapy. I was like, I think I want to be a physical therapist. And I'm like, no, we're on this other path because at that point in my life, that was very rooted in like, I went through these things. And so I need to make sense of this by helping other people and making sure they don't go through these things. But like, if that didn't happen, I would totally be a physical therapist, you know? And I was denying myself that because I wanted to make sense of it and I wanted to create change. And now at this point, I'm kind of like, okay, well, what's the story I've been telling myself? what's the story I want to tell myself, giving space to honor those experiences and the narratives you've had, because like, those are all valid. Those are all like a real part to your story, you know, it, but it's like, you get to decide at what point you want that to be the driver or the passenger in your life. Like it's still in the car. You're not kicking those stories out of the car, but they're just not making the decisions for you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like there's, uh, yeah, and I, in terms of, like, specifically education and, like, that conventional path, I think it's so, it's, it's that point of, like, okay, getting out of this survival mindset, and this is something I actually talk to a lot about with my friends who are primarily women of color, and so I think that's a, you know, a large part of it, of women in general, um, and, or, you know, femme identifying, and, you know, feeling like, okay, we, I don't want to be in survival mode, but then I, it's like, I also need these, some of these things to actually just be able to, ex, you know, excel and it could look different. And, um, I think it's also an element of like tapping into, you know, our creative side, which I think is, is a privilege actually, yeah. I might be going like a little straying away from, you know, my, what I was originally. I love about. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like, if I think about, even, you know, when we first met my mind, there was no time for creativity. Like, yeah. you know, I didn't want to paint, I didn't want to do, or I didn't want to go out on a hike, like be one I couldn't in, in some circumstance, but also like that element of myself was just so, it, she was so dampened by, you know, every, all the other, you know, stuff that was going on in life. Um, and so I think now kind of like that healing process, like I said, that, you know, it starts straying away from the less conventional or more conventional things going towards less conventional, um, you know, I guess areas of life or whatever that's academically professionally. So, um, but I, I, I don't think I, I could say like, I, I don't, it's, it's so hard. Like, I don't know. Cause it's like the educational path seems like, so just right, you know, like it's mm -hmm. set. But then also like, there's all these other areas of life that I don't even know. Cause I don't even know that about myself yet. That was a rant. <laughs>
But, no, but it's yeah. good. It's good. Like, I think that's that's part of the issue is like we expect people to go to college and know what they want to do with their lives before they even enter college. Right. Like you pick a major before you even get into the school. And then by the time you graduate, it's like, oh, here's the thing that you do. And it's like, well, what if we just looked at education as transferable skills that you can use for the rest of your life versus picking the thing that you want to do. Like even physical therapy, we talked about this. If I were to have been like, yes, this is the thing that I want to do, I'd be committing to like many more years of school, a lot more money. (laughs) I would be doing it probably for about three years. And this is like not a knock on physical therapists, but just more how my brain works. I'd probably last about three years before my brain would be like, okay, what's the next thing? I don't want to be like doing the same thing every single day, you know, even – And anything I do, I feel like I'm a multi-passionate person and I don't like being put in a box. Like I don't like saying this is the one thing that you have to do. So it's a little ridiculous to me to to say by 18, you have to figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life. Picture doing the thing (laughs) that you're doing by like 18 or 23 or 30 for like 20 more years, you know? And I think, you know, talking about survival mode and safety, like, yeah, the part of your brain that allows you to be creative actually like kind of shuts off when you're in survival mode because the survival, yeah, fun facts about neuroscience. Wow, I did not know this. So the survival mode part of your brain, yeah, we can like talk about the amygdala and all like all this stuff, but like um, (laughs) survival mode part of your brain, picture it like, um, like a light bulb that's all like lit up, right? And you can only have like this is not exactly how the brain works. I'm just making this up as I go along, but kind of. It's like when one is is lit up more, the other one's kind of dim, if that makes sense. So like the survival mode part of your brain is like it, the only thing it can think about is like the things to keep you safe. And I was stuck in that space for a long time too. So, you know, there's a lot of victim blaming that happened when I did my whole like, uh, what was it, the Hartford Current article that I wrote talking about um, – student debt and experiencing housing insecurity and people were like well why didn't you just do this why didn't you just do that why didn't you just you know and like most of those things would not have worked out I stand by that to this day for many reasons but there are things where looking back on it I was should shaming myself too where I was like oh I should have done this I should have done that but the thing that I've learned and the thing that I'm always trying to help students with is like well, no, it makes sense why you didn't do that because you were in survival mode. You had like an overactive part of your brain, underactive parts of your brain, and it was literally just like fight, flight, freeze. Like, okay, how do I get through this immediate thing? And sometimes when we're in that state, and I still see that with with clients even today, like when we're in that state, then we're actually a little more closed off to other potential solutions because there's like all these alarms going off in your brain. So it is really hard to be in a place where your brain's focusing on survival and people are like, no, but now you also have to pick like what you want to do for the rest of your life and all this other stuff. And like, that's part of what led me down the path I was on too. You know, we talked about mentors and I had all these mentors being like, oh, you should follow this career path. You should do this. You should go to grad school here. You should, you know, and like, the decision, again, the decision-making part of your brain is not the thing that's lit up when you're in fight or flight mode. And I was just like, okay, sure. Like this is, I don't, I don't know. And so I just followed what everybody else was saying I should do. I went to the grad school that, you know, they told me I should go to. I went to the program they told me I should go to. I was following everybody else's shoulds for a while because there's so much decision fatigue and I didn't know other options that were available to me. I, you know, I was just struggling so much. I was like, I, you know, I could have probably, probably the smart thing for me to do would have been to graduate and like get a job because I was really (laughs) broke. But instead I carried my broke ass over to grad school (laughs) 
where it was like, continue working full-time while working part-time for the school while in like a really demanding master's program because everyone was like, if you don't do this right away, you'll never go back. And I believed them. Yeah, all the time. And I believed them because I was still in this like fight or flight. I don't know what I'm doing. Everybody else knows better. Like I just want to get out of the situation and they're all older. So I'm going to believe them and like hope that it works out. But like that was grad school was like probably the worst mental health time (laughs) that I have experienced. And I would not do that again. And I am not blaming these people at all for suggesting that because it's like, again, remembering that everyone's going to give you advice from a place of their own experiences, their own fears, what worked for them, you know, trying to put themselves in your shoes. But the problem is that like nobody can put themselves in the shoes of somebody who is in that like shut down survival state unless they've been there. That's like, I think honestly why I'm so good at what I do because I can pick out when you're in freeze mode, like immediately, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I think one, you said decision fatigue and I've never Mm -hmm. even thought about that before, but I feel like that is like having to be an adult so quick at an age that, you know, no child should be doing that. These, you know, huge decisions. And I was recently talking to um, my bold mentor, Liza Boritz and, or director actually, but, um, (laughs) and she was saying that like, you know, this is really the one period of your life that you're going to have to be making a lot of large decisions, but like life is not always going to be like this. (laughs) Like, and I don't know, it's, it's a really weird time in like collegiate academia where it's like, you are, it's like, you know, you have literally like three years and then you're making a really huge decision well actually no and then but like three years before that you just made another really big decision Mm -hmm. and you know things like housing security here being moved around so much needing to choose you know where to live because this is my home like all these things and I think now it's it's become a tax you know it's it's become this kind of feeling of an, an actuality of you know like I'm I'm friggin tired like you know and then um and I, that just really helped me put it into perspective because I think there's this kind of shame of like, you know, I, I shouldn't be tired, you know, like this almost like, I, I would say blame of like, you know, I'm, you know, it's because I'm being lazy or it's because of all these things, but it's like, you know, I've, I've not only have I stepped out or, you know, am stepping out of survival mode as I continue healing, but it's like still making these really large decisions. Um, and then also having that element of like, you know, it's, it's like at this point I feel like in a lot of students other foster students or those residing in this system that I'm still interacting with it's like just kind of wanting to be like hands off at this point like you know I just I don't even want anything to do with this so I guess like I would have a question of like how do you kind of find harmony between like times of like you know, hands off and hands on when you're making decisions, any decision, it doesn't have to be these really large decisions, but um, I find that like being really overwhelmed at this point, senior year applications, thesis, all this stuff. I'm like, I don't even want to decide what I'm going to eat tomorrow. Sometimes Mm. like, I just, I don't want adults right now. Fiddles. You actually (laughs) taught me that fake adulting. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Fake adulting is how I live my life. Um, What does it even mean? You know, like what, what does that actually even look like? I, I agree with what you said too, about like having to adult before you're an adult. And, and I think Mm -hmm. that we're just tired. Like I was talking to one of my friends the other day who's 24 and she's like, why are you so tired all the time? And I'm like, because I have been, I have been tired since like, you know, the beginning of time because we've just had so many things to overcome and to deal with. And I, 
think that gets exhausting after a certain point. Like, cool, go us. Like, awesome. But it's kind of like you're doing, you know, um, like I used to do the the Spartan like eight hour races where you're literally on a mountain for eight hours and it's like you're running for a bit and there's no obstacles and you're like, cool. And then there's an obstacle and you're like, oh, I got over it. Good job. Go me. And then you're running for a bit and you're like, oh, it's pretty out here. And then you get to another obstacle and you're like, here we go again. You know, and it's like, OK, I did that one, too. Sweet. And then it's like picture doing that for eight hours and then like, you know, your entire life. I feel like that's what it kind of feels like for us, like you know, my, my 30th was yesterday and people are like, oh my God, I had no idea you weren't already in your thirties. You seem so mature. You're so much this, you're so much that. And it's like, yeah, because I've literally had to take care of myself from such a young age that that's a survival response, you know? Um, and so I think when we're trying to figure out like, what we want to do with our lives, you know, and there's there's all these all these decisions that we've had to make from such a young age that other people haven't where it's not as simple as like, oh, I'm just going to go to college and the only thing I have to worry about is just like grades, friends and, you know, then picking a career path. We're literally like where am I going to sleep? What am I going to where am I going to go for the holidays? You know, there's like so many layers to it and so anyway, going back to your question, <laughs> like decision fatigue, I think one of the things that I do at this point that helps that I didn't have the privilege to do then is trying to automate as many things as I can in my life, you know? So like every time you see me, I am wearing one version of this this sweatshirt. Like I have this same sweatshirt in like four different colors. Like I don't even think about what I'm going to wear in the morning. It's just like always, you know, which is great because I work from home now and I do that. But I think just even if you don't work from home, you know, like can you – make things easy, like eat the same thing for breakfast or have a routine or, um, you know, making it easier with your clothes, like, like put less pressure on the smaller decisions, you know, like we put a lot of pressure on like, what am I going to wear today? Are other people going to like my outfit? You know, just taking some of the pressure, it's a, it's a should, right? Taking some of the pressure off of those things, recognizing where we're doing it for other people. And does that need to take up as much space? And if it does, if that's like a thing you do for someone else, because that's, very important to you cool versus like something you think you should and then in terms of the bigger decisions I think just remembering that I'm not gonna say so people listening to this I'm not gonna say that school's not important and like your job's not important and all that stuff but I am gonna say that because I'm gonna say that nothing's more important than your mental health like I think that we build it up to be such a big thing like like I okay I think about this literally all the time when I was in high school I was an AP student I was like a mostly straight A student I ran three community service organizations I was a three sport varsity athlete right and it was all these things because we get it drilled into us that it's like you have to achieve 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 to be successful and it's like it's like a sprint and a marathon at the same time where, you know, what like Liza was saying, it's just going to be for a little bit, right? So in high school, it's like, oh, well, you just have to power through until graduation and then you get into college and everything's fine. You have to do all these things to get in and then you're good. And then you get in and it's like, oh, you just have to power through for four years, <laughs> no break. And then it's fine. And then it's like, oh, you just have to like now get a job and then you have to power through that job until you're burnt out and you end up leaving. And then you get a break for two weeks while you're transitioning jobs and then you got to do it again at your next job you know and so it's like it's like how are we being sold this thing right where it's like oh you just have to push a little bit longer and it's like no wonder our mental health sucks because we're being sold the story of like just work a little bit harder for a little bit longer and it'll all pay off and then you realize that it's like a hamster wheel that you're on for your entire life and it doesn't actually stop unless 
you decide to get off. And so it's like going back to these major decisions, I know they feel really major right now and nothing in life is permanent. So like if you decide that you don't want to go to law school right now, cool, you know, or if you decide that you want to get a job and figure your life out, cool. If you decide that you don't want to get a full-time job and just like I'll hook you up with some of the promo events that I do and you just want to like work, you know, random events all over the country, like cool. You want to join the circus? Like cool. I will support whatever you want to do because ultimately it's your life, but I just feel like we have this thing pushed and pushed and pushed on us and we feel all this pressure because the way that it's pushed on us is like this one decision is going to determine the entire rest of your life. Like if you choose to go to law school, you choose to do this fellowship, you choose to take this job, like it's going to influence your whole trajectory when the reality is like you can make a change at any single point. If you feel stuck, you can always make a change. The decision you make when you graduate is not going to determine the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. All of that was yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I ingested every single word. I'm like, yes, 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 because I feel like that's not only exactly what I needed to hear. I think a lot of us need to hear that, that, you know, whether we're in academia or not, because I mean, that that hamster wheel reference was, it's definitely like, and I, I think there is this illusion, this like, of like, it'll stop somewhere, but it literally never does. And I think I've just kind of really realized that like, oh, this really won't stop if I don't let it or if I don't, you know, go choose to do that. And I, that's kind of like, you know, the fear of whatever this next big decision it is, like thinking it's going to like lock me in or something. And the other day when you said, when we were on our call and you were like, so if you chose to do a fellowship in, you know, Austin or Texas, whatever, like what's the worst thing that could happen? And it literally did not click in my brain that like, oh, like, yeah, after that I could go wherever. So it's kind of like, I think putting, you know, putting ourselves outside of these, again, boxes, these categories, and more just the fluidity again of life. Um, you know, a lot of people my age don't recognize these things yet. So, um, and, and it is, it's kind of like, we're all being funneled together. And I feel like that one person that's like, Hey, Hey, wait, no, no, like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to do this. You know, I don't want to be, be stuck, I guess, or like, you know, um, just yet if that makes any sense oh it makes yeah. sense it's like it's hard to step out of the herd you know what I mean because that's what it feels like it feels like we're being herded and then you're like nah I'm gonna step out of this and that that can be a lonely journey when you start shredding shoulds and I think mm -hmm. part of the thing is you know going back to survival mode a lot of us take the path that we think we should, that we're told we should, or we take the same path, this, the safe path, because it makes our brain have this this semblance of safety, right? This kind of it's false safety. So like when I started my business, so many people were like, you can't do that. You need a stable job with a 401k and all these things. And that's the safe path from the time you graduate college till the time you die is just like saving up. Listen, I spent my whole retirement fund. I'm gonna be real honest about this. I spent my whole retirement fund <laughs> to move down here. And people are like, why would you do that? That's not smart. You need a retirement fund because like when you're 60 or 70 or whatever age where you retire. And I'm like, look, I don't even know if I'm going to make it to 70. Like this is like, this is morbid, but honest, like I could die in a car accident like tomorrow. Right. But what I, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, but what I, but what I do know is that like, we we were not like in the best spot. I needed to make this move down here. I wanted to make this move down here. And, 
you know, and there were a lot of things that like we needed. It was COVID. Like he wasn't working. There was like a lot of stuff happening. And I was like, I can't take care of my 70 year old self if I don't take care of my 29 year old self first. And so I did it. And like a lot of people might not agree with that. But you know what? Like that was the best decision for me at the time. And I still stand by it. I will stand by it. Ask me in 10 years. We'll do a reunion episode where I will still stand by it. But like, you know, but this path that we think is safe. Okay, so I was on the safe path at UConn, right? And my program, my job got stripped out from underneath me doing the safe thing that everybody told me that I should do. And like now here I am, I've been in business for over two years now, my own business that everybody said was risky. And I feel more stability than I ever have in my life because, and maybe that's like a hyper-independence trauma response, but like I'm in charge <laughs> of, you know, like it's not waiting for somebody else to pull the rug out from underneath me. Like it's just, you know, I'm setting up what I need. But so this going back to this path, it's kind of like how we you, we drive the same route to work every day because it's familiar. We think it's the fastest way to get there. We know the turns. You know, our brain likes that. Our brain is like, I know there's a stop sign here and a traffic light here and a turn here. And that makes us feel safe. But then when there's a detour, sometimes we freak out. But sometimes on those detours, that's where we see the most beautiful or cool things that we never would have seen Otherwise, you know, how many times have you been driving, you take a detour and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know this thing was here or like, oh, I get a really cool view of the sunset from here, right? And like we block ourselves from those experiences in life because we're always trying to do the safe thing, the pre-programmed thing that somebody else has laid out for us because I think to some extent we grow up learning not to trust ourselves and that everybody else must know better. And that's part of like being a kid and adults being like, listen to your grandfather because he's an adult, you know, like whatever. I don't know. I didn't have a grandfather, but like, I know that happens. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's like part of it. We're just like, oh, I can't trust myself. And this is the, this is the pipeline from like kindergarten till death, you know, and we follow it. And then it's like, if you decide to step out of that, people are kind of like, yo, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? But like, that's where I have found my most authenticity and happiness and gratitude and calmness and opportunity and potential for life is not being on this pipeline, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And um, I feel like, I mean, this is maybe somewhat unrelated, but when I went to Costa Rica and studied abroad, I'm not going to talk about that. I don't want to be that person's like, so when I went to, whatever, but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was like, it's, they were so, they found so much peace with the most menial things in life. Like, you know, whether it was being an artist, whether it was just being, you know, a, a construction worker, like whatever, like you would see people and they were genuinely at so much peace, like energetically, physically, also like, I mean, the health there is a lot better, especially in the indigenous communities. But um, I'm saying that because it's, it's kind of like, it's that self-preservation of like, you know, this, this pipeline, it is like a wearing down process. Um, and I feel like having that experience is really what changed me to be like, okay, I need to prioritize my health and I, you know, my mental health, physical health, all these other things. Um, but it definitely is, you know, it's kind of usually warrants a little bit of external judgment. Um, as long as I just don't try to, you know, pull that into like internal judgment. 
Um, and so I, you know, and it's the other day you had asked me, um, well, and today, you know, what would you do if, you know, all these experiences didn't happen experiences. And I was like, I would probably be like a yoga teacher, like somewhere out, maybe in California, California, Texas, like something that would meet my vibe. And then I immediately was like, no, no, like, that's not you, Maria, you're doing policy, you're doing law, like all these things, whatever. And I don't know. So I just thought that was really interesting, because I just thought about it. And when I was in Costa Rica, too, I was like, wow, I don't want to do any of this. And I'm, I don't know. So I just got extremely, I, I yeah, I got extremely happy thinking about that. Because, yeah. And that's something that's cool. And that's something to think about, right? It's like when those things come up, they're signals, they're pointing towards something that we actually want. And then we repress it because we're like, oh, no, you should. I felt the same way about doing personal training. I was like, you did not get three degrees to be a personal trainer. And I was like, why are you knocking on personal trainers? Like, this is great. Personal trainers are amazing. And going back to health, it's like, what if we thought about preventative healthcare, right? Instead of like reactive healthcare. So what if we focused on something I talk a lot about is like burnout prevention versus burnout recovery. Like why do we have to keep recovering from things? Why can't we just start preventing things? Why can't we be more intentional with how we take care of our physical and mental health? And, you know, the system's not set up for that, right? I think so many of us equate our worth to what we do. So you were like, you know, policy and this and that. And Something I ask a lot, whether I'm working with students or life coaching, and they're like, I don't know what I want to do. It's like, well, one, you don't have to figure out your entire life right now. Like, I guarantee you, if we do this 10-year reunion episode, I will not be doing the same thing. Will I even have this podcast in 10 years? I don't know. I might bring it back just for the reunion episode. But you know, but I say like take labels out of it because I used to feel like I needed to be a lawyer or a doctor or whatever because there's a level of prestige behind that. Like people understand what that means. When I told people I was a psychology major, they were like, oh, what are you going to do with that? Like every single time, like, oh, that doesn't make a lot of money or, oh, what are you going to do with that? Or like, oh, you know, and it's like, oh, I want to be a therapist. And it's like, uh, okay. You know, (laughs) you know, because it's like people go based on what they can understand And again, at that time, I based a lot of my decisions on, well, what will other people think versus, well, what will make me happy? And even choosing the career path that I did, I remember being in grad school and being like, I'd always wanted to be an author. Let me just preface that. Like ever since I was little, I wanted to be an author. And I had convinced myself that I would never be a successful author, but I wanted to publish things. And I remember being in grad school being like, you can do research on independent students and you can publish it and nobody's doing that and that'll be the thing that you're known for and that's a way that you can be an author and get your name out there and have all these like accolades and credentials because it was very much like, okay, well, my worth is tied to what I do or the credentials I have, the title I have, all of that stuff. And it's like, well, what if it wasn't? What if you separated that? What if you just like can exist on this planet exactly as you are and your only purpose is to do things that make you happy? And what if by doing things that make you happy, you're making the world a better place at the same time? You know, what if it's like somebody said this on my my podcast, um, Griffin said this on my podcast a while ago, and I love this metaphor. I can't take credit for it. But he was like, you know, we talk about filling your cup first so you can fill others. And he's like, what if it's not one cup and you're going around and like refilling other cups? What if you stack the cups in a pyramid, yours is on top and you fill it and you fill it so much that it actually overflows and trickles down into all the cups beneath it at the same time. And I was like, dang, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, I definitely, it's, that's also like, I mean, spiritually, you know, I definitely, I practice primarily like indigenous spirituality, um, native American first nation spiritual practices. And that's one of the things it's like, once you are in alignment with like, you know, your highest, highest self, higher purpose, which definitely is a little controversial, um, because of like the, the whitewashing of these practices, but, um, it's definitely something I still believe in or practice. Um, it's kind of like that abundance mindset, which is like, once you are in alignment with your, your purpose and what you truly want, what you desire, your heart space, all these other things, like it, things will just inevitably, you know, be abundant externally, whether that's the impact that you make, whether that's, you know, the, the changes you're seeing in your own life or the, and, you know, those around you, it's kind of like, it changes your, changes your entire sphere, you know, or life sphere in that, that essence. So yeah, I definitely resonate with that a lot. That's beautiful. Yeah. And it's like, if you take the titles out of it and I, I agree with you on everything that you just said, and it's like, Okay, so thinking about that, a lot of times when you're doing you're doing that work, you're picturing things, right? So versus like labeling things. We like to label things. We like to say this is what this person does, this is what color their hair is, this is how much money they make. You know, like we like to put people in boxes and labels. But what if we took labels out of it and you just thought about, well, how do I want to feel? What do I want my life to look like? So when we were talking about, I'm trying to convince her to move to Austin, y'all. I'm trying to convince everyone to move to Austin. But like, you know, when we were talking about that, like I was so resistant to Texas because I had put Texas in this like stereotyped, honestly, like stereotyped box in my head of what it was going to be like. There were all these labels and words to describe it. But then it's like when I went back up, so I've lived down here for for a year now. Um, When I went back up, which is wild, but I went back up to New England a couple weeks ago, like I was super excited to see you. I was excited to see other people. And the energy felt different. Like when I got up there, I was like, this is not how I want to feel on my day to day. And it wasn't like a, I want to live here. Like I want to live in Austin versus I want to live in New England. It was like a, this is how I want to feel. And where do I feel like that? Or this is like the type of community I picture myself being around. And where do I have that? And we talked about how you know, in Connecticut, I was forcing myself to continue living somewhere that I have never wanted to live. I have, you know, tried all the reframes and all the things that I tell people to do. And I was still like, this sucks. Like it just didn't feel in alignment, you know? And so when we were kind of like, okay, well, where do we want to go? It wasn't like, let me label a city. It was, well, how do I want to feel? And what place gives me how I want to feel. And it's the same thing with jobs. It's not what do you want to do, but it's, okay, are you in one place during the day? Are you moving around? Are you talking to people? Are you not? Like, I'm the type of person that needs to be in a different environment every day. I need to be talking to people. Zach's the kind of person who's like, let me build something with my hands and leave me alone and don't talk to me. Like, very different, you know? Um, So so it's like, okay, well, how do you, you know, and like, I don't want to be anywhere where it's cold and snowy, even though Texas is confusing me and it's 40 degrees right now. Like, I don't know what's up. But, you know, I'm like, I want to be in a community that's very, like, open and inviting and into spiritual healing and into holistic health versus, like, toxic fitness culture and into nature and dogs. And, like, I found that here. And I'm not saying there's not pockets of that in New England, but it's not – it's a whole energy here, you know. And once you, like – feel what that feels like and can really understand that, then you're like, okay, now let me find the puzzle piece that matches 
what I know that I want, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As you were speaking, I was like, okay, now we have to book the flight. We have to do it. Like I have to, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I definitely, I, I definitely, I can't even imagine it's so I've never been to a space like that as I except maybe Costa Rica a little bit, but like, it is definitely, it's something that's so like nuanced for me. Um, so yeah, I just, I always get very like inspired whenever you, you speak about your experience so far. And also like, I'm like, I'm going to go like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's so funny because being up in Connecticut, like I was trying to do all these things to change people's lives and like social media, like I'm always trying to do things to like inspire people to, to try something new, right. Or to change their lives. Moving across the country was the biggest thing that I think I've ever done that's inspired people just based on the messages I got. And I was this was like the one thing that I really, truly do for me and was like, you know, like I, I do things for me and then I share. But this was like the one thing where I was like, I'm not going to move across the country to prove a point to people like I might I might, you know, make like um, like I might do something else like I might I don't I don't know. I'm trying to think of an example of things that I do. But you know what I mean? Where I'm like, on, OK, I'm on social talking about like changing your relationship with yourself or social or, um, or your body or food or stuff like that. Right. And I'll talk about like my experiences as a way to like help people with theirs. Moving across the country was not that. Moving across the country was not like, hey, here's how to like pick up your entire life and move across the country. I did it. You could do it too. <laughs> just like, I just did it. And I didn't say anything about it. You know, I wasn't like, here are the mindset shifts that helped me do this. But like, I just did it. And so many people were like, oh my God, how did you do that? That's so brave. Like, I want to do that, but I'm so scared to. And I'm like, out of all the things I've been through in my life, this was like the least scary thing that I've ever had to do. But like, <laughs> cool that that's the one that inspired you the most. And it's so interesting how like, so many people are so afraid to take that leap because kind of what we talked about, it's like, well, what if it doesn't work out? And I'm like, okay, well, what if it doesn't? Like, we could have moved down here and then been like, oh shit, we made a mistake. Okay, then what? We learned something. Yeah, maybe we lost a bit, little bit of money on the move and like still being in money survival mode, like that's scary for me. But like we spent that money to have an experience, to learn something. People spend more money than we spent on the move on like one vacation and we haven't been on a vacation in like eight years. So like, you know, it's just like, yeah. and then I learned something. I learned it's not for me, but at least I tried. And then you know what? I end up probably exactly back where I was. Like if we move down here and it doesn't work out, we're either going to go try somewhere else brand new that we've never tried before, or more likely we're going to go back to the safe option, which is where we've lived our whole lives, where I already know I don't want to live. So if it doesn't work out, worst case scenario is literally my worst case scenario. I'm ending up right back where I started. <laughs> like, it's the same thing when people are like, oh, I'm afraid to apply for a job. I'm like, well, what's the worst case scenario? You don't get it and you stay in the job you're already in that you want to leave. Cool. Like you're you're still in your job. And like maybe the real worst case scenario in your brain is like, I'm afraid of rejection. And if I put myself out there, people are going to reject me and I don't want to feel that. But like you talked about earlier, sometimes we got to just sit in that discomfort. Like not everything is going to be nice and fluffy and comfortable for us all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yes, exactly that. And I also, there's an element of like, and what if I, I remember, I don't know who I was speaking to, but I was like, and what if it works out so well? Like, yes. what if it's like, you know, and that is 
scary. Like, I think like saying, alluding to earlier, like giving yourself permission to be free, to be liberated, to, you know, do what your heart's desire is again, be in that alignment, whatever you kind of want to frame it as. And it is like, oh my God, like what if things are go so well that I find these parts of myself or these parts of my life or these new passions, hobbies, or like, you know, quirky things about who I am that like, I never knew existed. And like something about that is extremely terrifying and exciting at the same time. And the other day after a phone call, I was like, what if it, like, I feel like if I were to go to Austin or just do something that isn't this conventional path, I know, like, I think it would be amazing, like for me in general, for my health, but also just like an amazing experience, a stepping stone. Um, and that, yeah, I was like, whoa, okay. A little scary. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, I love that you said that. Cause that's always my other question is like, well, yeah, what if it did all go right? And the follow-up to that, to it being scary is like, what if you fully trusted yourself, you know, because I think going back to what you said earlier about the narratives, the reason it's scary is because even if you're in survival mode, that's comfortable for you. Even if you're super unhappy with your life, like this is a general you, like not you specifically, like even if you're super unhappy with your life, that's comfortable for you because it's the narrative that you know, it's the narrative that you've been telling yourself and our brain likes repetition like as much as we we're like oh it's hard to form habits our brain likes repetition so it's gonna like whatever you've been telling yourself and even if you're completely miserable it's like that's all you've known and so your brain is like oh safety like even if you're miserable this this is safe and stepping outside of that is really really scary and part of what makes it scary is yeah fear of unknown having to change that story, not having that repetition. And but then there's also an element, like I said earlier, where we just don't trust ourselves. We don't trust ourselves to figure it out. We also don't trust ourselves to be okay if everything goes right, because we don't want to feel that discomfort. Like if everything goes right, does that mean that I could have done this all along? Or does that mean we have to deal with those feelings of like, am I actually deserving of this? Like everything that, that happened to me when we moved down here. Listen, we got kayaks. Okay. And oh, me, that's awesome. yeah. And me being still like, there is still an element of my brain that is like, you don't deserve something like that. Or you're still like this poor girl who went through all these things. Like you're going to be broke forever. Like my, there is an element to my narrative deep in the back of my brain. So when I'm in my garage and I'm filming stories, like for the longest time, I didn't want people to see the kayaks in the back because I was actually embarrassed by them. I didn't want people to see my squat rack because again, like this narrative of like, you can't have nice things like, you know, or like you can't talk about the struggles you've been through and simultaneously have these things because like, what are people going to think? And I was like, oh, you don't do that. You don't give a shit about other people's opinions. What are you doing? But, it, but it's, there. <laughs> it's such a part of my narrative that like, when I got it, I was like, or even just in general, I'm like, oh, okay. But like my entire life, I've been the girl that like, has had to work 80 hour weeks and has had to like scrounge around for housing and food. And now I've got fucking kayaks, like, you know, and there's an element of, of needing to, it's, it's, I know what you mean. Cause it's scary and I don't know how to explain it, but it's like, it's such a sense of identity. Like, even if that narrative doesn't serve you and I, I don't want to be the girl who's sneaking into dorm rooms to like, you know, find or like crashing on people's couches or whatever. Like, I don't want to be that. But it's what I knew for literally a third of my life, more than two thirds of my life, right? So when that changes and you step outside of that, it's like, 
oh, wait, am I, I'm, my whole identity is shifting now. I don't know who I am if I'm not doing these things. And that's, that's really scary. And when you sit in that discomfort and you work through it, like, yeah, I just said on my podcast, I've got kayaks, cool. Like you work through it, then you open yourself up to a whole new life. So that question we said earlier, like, well, what if all this trauma didn't happen? What if these experiences didn't happen? Who would you be? And I feel like I finally arrived into the version of myself that like, I would have been had all of this stuff not happened. I still carry that stuff, right? And I'm using it. Like I've got my nonprofit. I'm helping people. It's there. It's a part of me. And that's not going to drive the car to decide where I go next in my life. Yeah. 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 Oh, my gosh. I, I Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah. I'm just kind of like letting that really like sink in um, and ruminating on that because I, I definitely, it's again, giving ourselves permission and grace. Um, but, um, and I think that's, that's an act of like radical self-care too. And self-love is kind of like giving ourselves luxuries, which really aren't luxuries. Um, but I think for, for folks who have been in our like predicaments or have had similar experiences, it does feel like that. Um, and yeah, so I really appreciate that. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Okay, awesome. Important. I ask everybody this at the end of all of our episodes. Okay. So along those lines, we've talked about a lot of shoulds that we're uh, shredding. What is the biggest should that you have ever shred? Hmm. Okay. So I really haven't thought too much about this because I'm like, there's, I think there's a lot that I, again, don't even recognize yet. But um, I would have to say that I, I think I'm still currently shredding it, but I've re- recently realized how much I've done it. And I mean, I'm very proud of myself and which would be shredding the should that I need to be exactly what those who attempted or who had raised me, whether that's foster parents, whether that's adoptive parents or whatever, should be their definition of me. And I've, you know, having had to be so independent for such a long time, it's, I didn't realize how much I was practicing this act of like, fuck your ideas of who you think I am or who I used to be or whatever you had kind of like placed onto um, my, my identity, my being, but also like, I'm going to discover that on my own and it, it could take forever. I might never know, but just the fact that I'm honoring my own mind, body, and soul to the extent that like no one else's, you know, thoughts or like perspectives of that matters. So I would say, yeah, yeah, that's probably it. Again, I'm still mastering that. I'm at like inter no beginner level kind of like, you know, introspection, of that but I think it's it's been a beautiful process so far I love that and also I feel like that's something that literally all of us are still working on for our entire lives but I like the fact that you are 20 and you've already started it because I feel like I work with people who are you know in their 30s 40s 50s 60s who just are just discovering that process for the first time you know and I've, I've gotten a lot of DMs around my my birthday from people being like, here's what I'm learning in my 30s. It's not that bad. And I'm like, I didn't say it was that bad. I'm not worried. But like a lot of people sharing with me how, you know, at 30 or 40 or whatever, they're just starting to come into this version of themselves and, and learn that. But it's hard, I think, because going back to the seasons piece, 
throughout our lives, we're going to have many new people come in and come out, and they're always going to have different expectations of us and how we should act and who we should be. And so we are constantly shredding it all the time, you know, like you're going to do it with family, chosen family, adoptive family, whatever, right? And then you're going to have to do it again at like a job or with a significant other. And then maybe you get a new significant other and you're going to have to do it again. You know, like you do it again, but it's a practice. And the more you practice it, the more that muscle gets used, you know, the easier it gets over time. Like it's still going to be hard. It might still be hard, but you're just more practiced, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that is, it is an element of like, and it's tiring. I will not like, I, I'm, I think it's an extremely tiring process to be conscious. Like it's like, you know, that practicing mindfulness, it's like a literal exercise. My brain is like, all right, we need to like, we need to zone out like not disassociate, but we need to do something where we're like, not, not thinking about this or trying to be as, you know, aware that that's just where I am right now. But I definitely, I mean, and that is also the thing sometimes I'm like all right Maria like you're still young even five years from now you'll still be young like whatever I guess we're always young really um but uh yeah that's just yeah very interesting and And along those lines too like the you are always going to change so you I don't expect you to be the you that I'm talking to right now I don't expect you to be that same person in five months or five years right and other people have a really hard time with that because they're going to have their set picture of who you are or who you were who you should be and that doesn't mean you shouldn't continue to evolve exactly yeah yeah. And it's so interesting because like, like evolution, I feel like the older I'm getting, the younger I'm getting, like, that's literally how I feel. And I'm like, it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense. You know, it makes sense to me, but yeah. So I'm excited. I'm like 10 years from now, I'm going to be like 17, you know, I'm at, no, like I'm basically just going to be like even more young, more fun play. We're just talking about that before this, like I'm going to be like, so, I mean, or it could be literally two months from now, you never know, but, um, I'm, I'm very, I'm excited kind of to get older, younger, really. Yeah. yeah, literally was in a unicorn onesie at the ninja gym last night for my 30th birthday. Yeah. Like you can yeah. do whatever you want at any time. There's no rules, you know, yes, but I think exactly. <laughs> the more you continue to shred those shoulds and discover who you actually want to be, not what others say you should do. I think that's, yeah, like we get younger as we get older because we give ourselves permission to play, to be more authentic. I feel like we're always trying to grow up really fast and then we realize that it's exhausting. And then it's like, well, who are you? Who were you before the world told you who you should be? And when you mm-hmm. lean into that, oh man, like so many great things happen. So I love that. That is a great should for you to continue to shred and to leave our listeners with. And Thank you so much for being here. This was one of my favorite conversations and I am just so honored to know you all the time. And I'm definitely going to have to have you come back because I feel like we can talk about so many things forever. So yes, literally, literally, thank you for having me. This was such yeah. a wonderful experience. And again, like uh, this was such a great learning and, and teaching lesson. And I guess and every conversation is like that. I'm always, I always tell you, I'm always left away feeling like, <laughs> like so inspired, but also just extremely moved to the point where I'm like, all right, I can put some things into action now. Yes. Awesome. I love that. I love it so much. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will see you next time. Go shred those shoulds. Mm -hmm.